The Pilgrimage of the Heart podcast is brought to you by PYO.Yoga, an online studio for all your yoga needs, including videos in Spanish and Russian. This podcast is also brought to you by Pilgrimage of the Heart Yoga, located in San Diego and serving over 1,000 yogis a week. Hi, this is Sujantra. Join me now and every week as we explore yogic philosophy and apply it to our daily lives. So in, in Sutra 12, um, Patanjali is speaking, speaking about yoga and, and the practice of yoga. And when he's talking about yoga, he's talking about the... You know, in the West, we're more used to yoga being the physical postures, the physical exercises. As he's talking about the yoga, he's talking about the breath control, being able to calm the mind, direct the thoughts. And he says, he says, their control is by practice and non-attachment. Their control and by what is being controlled is the thoughts and all the fluctuations that take place in our minds. The basic idea being that ultimately the true nature of the mind is a still calm, a stillness and calmness like a lake. Like a lake when there's no wind, there's, no, there's nothing going on, the lake's really calm. And when a lake is like that, then you can either look at the surface of the lake and see a perfect reflection of the nature around it. Or you can look into the lake and if the water is really clear and pure, you can see the, the, all what's underneath. And so you could say it's the same thing with our minds. When our minds are calm, it gives us the ability to perceive the world around us very clearly because the reflection in the water is, is perfect because it's very still. Whereas as soon as there's waves on the water, it causes the imagery to become very... Um, scattered. And the same thing with understanding ourselves, our subconscious, our deeper nature. When our mind is really calm, we can look and see down and see what's underneath. Versus, again, when there's all kinds of waves, all you see is the waves. And that's the state most of us spend our lives in, is we're just, what we see, our experience of reality, we think it's reality, but all we're seeing is the thoughts and fluctuations in our own minds. You're going to join us, Pujari. Wonderful. This is um, Pujari. This is Teresa. And of course, Mary. Pujari is the harmonium player from tonight, in case you didn't. Yeah, I didn't know. You know. So their control, so the control of all of these fluctuations is by practice and non-attachment. So practice meaning just continual effort. Time to get up, go to yoga. Time to do my meditation every morning and, or do the different spiritual practices that uh, work for me. So regular practice. And then he uses the word non-attachment. And so we'll... we'll um, We've talked about a little bit about non-attachment. What, Mary, could you speak to what, the, what we've kind of derived to non-attachment to mean? 
That's a lot of pressure. Non-attachment. What do you got? Without expectations. Letting go of expectations. Yeah, not clinging, um, whether that's cling, not clinging to certain expectations or at an even deeper level, not even clinging or being attached to our own thoughts. And the thing to remember, because it can sound a little like disassociating, like, okay, I'm not even going to connect with my own thinking, but each time as you let go of that attachment, you sink deeper and deeper into a deeper sense of self. So it would be a lot like if, um, if, if someone was obsessed with, you know, their stomach. You know, all they could do is think about their stomach and, and a gurgle in their stomach and um, like the little chemical reactions. And you're so fixated on this one little part of ourself that we forget about the, all the rest of us. And so in the same way, spiritual philosophy says that our minds are really just a little part of us, that there's a much vaster reality that that is who we are, but that we're so fixated on our minds. But from our perspective, our mind is like almost everything. And so the spiritual teachers and the yoga philosophy is trying to help us see that, no, there's, there, you're much vaster than your mind. So try and let go of it. Detach from a little, a little bit. Feel the, feel the deeper sense of self. And so he defines, he says, continuous effort to keep the fluctuations of the mind calm is practice. So continuous effort. And... That means different things for different people. For one person, continuous effort might mean all the time that you're awake. You know, no matter what you're doing, you have enough inner returned awareness to where you're keeping your mind calm, you're watching your fluctuations, you can see anger rising up well before it gets to like you blowing up. So you're the, that's your continuous practice. For most people though, we're pretty unconscious of ourselves until we like get to yoga class and the teacher says, okay, focus in on your breathing. And you're like, oh yeah, I am breathing. <laughs> I do exist in this world. So, um, so again, finding out what continuous practice means for each of us and doing as much as we can. It becomes firmly grounded. It, this continuous practice, becomes fir- firmly grounded by long, constant efforts with great love for the goal to be attained. And so how do we have this constant effort? How do we really dive into our yoga? Well, we do it by long, constant effort. I've been practicing yoga for 35 years. You've been doing yoga for 15 years. Pujari's been... 39 years. Mary's been involved in yoga one year. So we all like are, are on this journey and it's a long journey. It's not going to happen. It's not like instant coffee, you know? <laughs> this, is, this, is, this, is a, this is a real, it's, you're, you're becoming a real craftsman of your own awareness. 
it's not, it's a, it's a deep learning. So continuous effort with great love for the goal to be attained. And so that's a really important point that can't be overemphasized enough, which is that it's really important to have a sense of why you're practicing yoga. Now you read the deep yoga philosophy, it'll say ultimately you can attain nirvana or a state of samadhi. You can become one with all of existence consciously, which is if you can really have a feeling of love for that, then that's great. But for, for me, when I was first getting into yoga, this concept of nirvana, or that was so far away from where I was at, but I did have an inkling of some inner peace. And so I just really focused on, God, I really want that inner peace. I would love that inner peace. I love that inner peace. I want to have that experience. And so that's what the sutras mean by great love for the goal to be attained. So really thinking about what your real goal in your yoga practice is right now and loving that goal, having some emotion behind it. What would you say your goal initially was, Pujari, embarking into the world of yoga and meditation? Initially? Yeah. You did it for some reason. Well, yeah, I guess I wanted to be followable. I was kind of a Christian before that. Yeah. And so I wanted to be like, follow the will of God or be guided by. I, I accepted a teacher. I realized at some point that I had to accept a teacher because I thought, I, mean, I was trying to do this by myself or something for a couple of years. But to do what by yourself? To find some inner peace, hmm. to find some sense of just this inner peace and just peacefulness and happiness. Yeah, so peace I, and happiness. So I guess my goal was to uh, have inner happiness and inner peace. Yeah. And also to do what I'm supposed to do in life, my purpose in life. I was 26. What am I going to do? What, what, am I, what am I on earth? What am I here for? And I thought by meditating, And I think also, because I was also raised a Christian, <coughs> we, as, a, as, in, as a Christian, you, we are presented with the concept of the will of God. You know, what's the will of God? Jesus is observing the will of God. Thy will be done. And so, um, I, you know, I think that that can really be an ideal for someone. You can look and say, wow, well, if that's held out as one of the principal ideals in, our, in, our, in this religion I'm raised in, how do you connect with the will of God? How do you... And what the, what the yoga te- says is that that stillness, when your mind is really still, then you're part of the energy of God. That that's how you, that's how you merge with the will of God. You, you make yourself so calm and still and peaceful that you merge with that energy. Not that you necessarily like, okay, you believe a certain thing that that's going to do it. The yoga says you do it through direct experience. So they say that um, when we talk in prayer, then we're talking, but when you're meditating, that's when you hear God's voice. Right. 
Yeah, when, when we pray, we talk and God listens. When we meditate, God talks and we listen. So really being able to hear that stillness of existence. Now, of course, what really tripped me up as a kid was, okay, well, here's the guy who surrenders to the will of God and he gets crucified. So that didn't like really sell me on the idea of, oh, I want to do the same thing. Sure, well, I'm like, okay, if they're saying do X and this is how it results in, whereas when I started to study the Buddhism and some of the uh, Hindu scriptures, you know, here's the Buddha, surrenders to the will of God, enters the state of nirvana and spends the next 50 years of his life teaching and traveling. And so I think every teacher has a, has a role they play in the world. And Jesus's happened to be like extremely intense you know, to show this sacrifice and this um, forgiveness and that. Um, but the will of, surrendering to the will of God doesn't mean, okay, now I'm going to suffer. Now, now I'm going to get crucified. It's whatever God wills. So. Um, okay, now, and now Patanjali, or the sutras, describe the non-attachment. So he says, non-attachment is that which comes to those who have given up their thirst after objects. Either seen or heard and which wills to control the objects. So non-attachment is when we give up the thirst after the objects and the will to control them. So because first comes, oh, I wish I had a bunch of money, then I'd be really happy. I wish I had. So we're being attached to this concept. So one thing of non-attachment is letting go of the thirst for things, but then also the things we have letting go of the will to control them. So two different, and so you can look at your own life and say, okay, what are the things I'm thirsting after right now? And then, you know, can I have more non-attachment there? Because you can still pursue things, but you don't have to be attached to it. And then looking at your own life and seeing the things that you do have and can you be a little more detached in needing to control everything? Because it's one thing to have something, an honor to have it, being grateful for it. But then oftentimes, if you look at your own life, you might find that we let go of that feeling of gratitude and we just like, okay, I got to control this thing. And so in our own lives, we, we can probably find examples of that thirsting after and then of the things we have are we like control freaks control freaks control everything it doesn't lead to happiness you know oh this is what this person should be thinking right now this is what this person should be feeling Yeah, this is what you should be doing right now. Let go of that. Just 
let people be themselves. And hey, yeah, we, we happen to be connecting in this moment. We're friends. We know each other. But we don't have to control people. Now it gets a little intense, he says, because he keeps going deeper. The yoga philosophy keeps going deeper and deeper. He says, that is extreme non-attachment, which gives up even the qualities and comes from the knowledge of the real nature of Purusha, which is the soul. I'm going to read you what's, what he says to explain this because it's pretty deep. He says, It is the highest manifestation and the power of non-attachment when it takes away even our attraction towards the qualities. We have first to understand that the soul, the self, we first have to understand what the soul or the self is and what the qualities are. So what are these qualities he's talking about? According to yoga philosophy, the whole of nature consists of three qualities or forces. So these are the elemental essence of all things. One is called tamas, T-A-M-A-S, another rajas, and the third sattva. These three qualities manifest themselves in the physical world as Darkness or inactivity, that's tamas. Attraction or repulsion, that's rajas, movement. Attraction or repulsion. And the equilibrium of the two. The equilibrium is sattva, when things are balanced and still. Everything that is in nature, all manifestations are combinations and recombinations of these three forces. Nature has been divided into these three categories. The self of each human being, the soul, is beyond all these three. It is effulgent, effulgent, pure, and perfect. And so this is some deep yoga philosophy, and the, I think a good way to understand it is with the last part, where he's saying that our true nature, our essence, is the self with the capital S, not the ego self, but the big self, self or soul, which is effulgent, pure, and perfect. That's our essence. But we find ourselves in nature. The soul has entered into nature for, for manifestation, for experience of reality, or experience of this realm. And within this realm, these are the forces that are moving everywhere. The... Um, darkness or inactivity you know when you feel lethargic or you see people hating each other and ignorance and bigotry all these the darkness of life or inactivity death sloth lethargy attraction or repulsion attracted to things I want this I want that this disgusts me relationships come and go money comes and goes light and day all the duality of life and then the equilibrium of the two you're sitting at the beach 
and it's the sound of the waves are beautiful, it's calm, there's no wind, the sun's going down. Those beautiful moments of life when things are balanced and in equilibrium. And so we're constantly moving in this realm. And he's saying that extreme non-attachment is when we let go of being attached to those things, to the essence of things. And we let go and we just reside in our pure nature. Which is, that's like nirvana when you have that experience. Right, so the idea is that the soul, our soul, our true nature, is deep inside our physical heart. And so when Sri Chinmoy in one of his books, when he describes the spiritual heart, he says that deep inside the physical heart, so this is like, our, you know, how you have to make your awareness really subtle to get this, but he says that deep inside the physical heart is the spiritual heart. He says like inside your heartbeat, you can feel your spiritual heart. And that then inside the spiritual heart is the soul. And that's our our true essence. And then a lot of spirituality is about humility. Because a lot of times I have a hard time just being aware of my heartbeat. You know, or feeling my breath. And and the spiritual philosophy says, hey, you got to not only perceive your own physical heart, but then deep inside your physical heart, feel your spiritual heart, and deep inside that is your soul. So it's a humbling awareness of, hey, this is a long journey. This isn't going to happen overnight because I can't, I can't even concentrate on my heartbeat for two minutes without my mind drifting away. But those two minutes are pretty darn good. You know, so it's about realizing the depth of the journey, but at the same time, honoring the joy of, hey, I'm taking steps in that direction. Not being attached to the goal. Let go and enjoy this, this, this moment. Thanks for joining us. This has been a production of Pilgrimage of the Heart Yoga. Join us at our studios here in San Diego or visit us online at pyo.yoga. Namaste.